come in the future. All right, with all of that, now we are going to start our devotion for tonight. The title is A Mission from God. A Mission from God. And in fact, that's a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek title. It comes from a comedy from years back called The Blues Brothers, which I'm not promoting the film. I'm just, throughout the film, they, a couple of guys are main characters in the film. They have a, a phrase where they say, we're on a mission. And he says, a mission from God. And you're thinking about being on a mission from God. People consistently wrestle with answering the fundamental question, what is my purpose? So that fundamental question is something that people wrestle with throughout their lives. Apart from satisfactorily answering that question, finding any level of contentment is impossible. And that's why you have so many people that you run into in your life, it maybe includes you at times, that are lacking contentment because they're essentially not in that moment anyway, as a Christian, recognizing what their purpose is, or in the sake of, in the case of somebody who's lost or doesn't know the Lord, they've never known what their purpose is. So people are desperate to fill that void with something. And that often, they often fill that void with anything because they don't know the truth as declared from God Himself in His Word about what is your purpose in life. What is the mission that God has for you. So they fill that void with anything and everything, seeking to find that sense of contentment or meaning or purpose that they're searching for. And absent knowing Christ, the only place to seek direction or purpose ultimately is in either yourself or the world around me, around you. And the world around you is ultimately under the influence, sway, and control of Satan. And the reality is that it can never provide any lasting sense of purpose. It's absolutely impossible to find purpose in something that is at odds with or distinct from or is an enemy of God himself. If God is the only source of truth and there can't, you can't find truth apart from him, then in a system of thinking or attitudes or believing or behavior that is completely incompatible with him, you're not going to find his truth. And if you can't find truth, you're never going to find your true purpose or any true meaning in your life. And so apart from Christ or absent knowing Christ, people will never find that purpose. And so men naturally bounce from one empty road to another, often with great passion and vigor, searching for that meaning. They are often, as they bounce around with great vigor and passion for what they're currently engaged in, hoping that it will find them purpose, find them or provide them purpose, they're often described as, there's a man on a mission. And so you're thinking about a mission to find purpose, and people are searching for it everywhere. And friends, we have the answer to that purpose found right in front of us in God's word. And so as we think about that, the Christian should be described by that phrase as well, a man on a mission. You should be described as a man or a female, a woman that's on a mission. You should be described that way, but the mission is a mission that is given to you directly from God. Your purpose is clear. The Christian's purpose or mission is clear. It's a mission to serve the Lord or a mission to bring God glory, a mission to elevate and promote him and to lift him up so that others could come to know him. It's a pretty straightforward mission, but we're going to see the Apostle Paul emphasize that tonight as we look at him being on a mission from God and how he transitioned from being on his own mission and a mission that he was sent on from other people in the world who didn't know God, to being a man who was on a mission for God. 
instead of a man that was sending himself out on his own mission or being directed to find his purpose or seek his purpose from the influence of human beings instead of God himself. So turn, if you haven't, to Acts 26. That's where we're going to be looking at here tonight. We were there the last time we had a devotion from the book of Acts, and we're going to pick up where we left off here tonight. We're going to pick up, Lord willing, here and cover verses 9 through 18. See, tonight's passage is going to contrast a mission from men with a mission from God. And we want to see that a little bit more clearly. Now, by way of background, I just dabble in it a little bit here for those of you who maybe who haven't been with us here in this study as we've been working through the book of Acts, but specifically all of these last significant number of chapters looking at the life of the Apostle Paul. So Paul had, by the time we get to this 26th chapter, Paul had gone to Jerusalem knowing that going to Jerusalem would subject him to a lot of danger. Paul was arrested then without any legitimate charges being brought against him. He was examined by two different regional governors without any guilt being established, without him being found guilty at all. Kids, do you remember what those two governors' names were, both starting with F? Okay. Festus and Felix, great job. Uh, some of you adults are glad I was calling on kids and not, and not you. Festus and Felix. And so those two governors had examined Paul as he was in their charge, so to speak. He was, he was under their care. They were the fact finders to determine justice for these regions. And they couldn't find or establish any fault in him, yet they hadn't released him. Now, in part, we saw that part of that was because Paul had actually petitioned to be seen by Caesar himself. And so Festus, the second of the two governors, actually said, you might have been set free, except for now you've appealed to Caesar, and to Caesar you must go. And maybe you remember that part. And so we know that ultimately Paul had even been told that he would be ministering or proclaiming Jesus to a lot of different people, but including kings. And that had been said to him by God himself, that that's something that he could look forward to in his life. And so we have this this, we got to this part in the story where a king, a Jewish client king we called him, but a king that was sort of a puppet king under the Roman government, this King Agrippa, he had come now to town. And he was examining Paul, so another person in authority. But in addition to Caesar, here we have another king that Paul was able to proclaim his testimony of the grace of God, to proclaim that testimony to people that were the leaders of society in terms of the civil leaders of a foreign government that was running this whole area, the Roman, the Roman government. And so then he'll go on, we'll know as the story goes, to share that message of hope with Caesar and Caesar's household when he goes to Rome, where he'll be in Rome for at least two years too. He'll, he'll have been here in Caesarea for approximately two years. So Paul is now... King Agrippa, he has a number of things to say, and then he turns it over, so to speak, to Paul so that he can defend himself or he can speak. And that's sort of where we left off in the story that Paul is going to effectively be sharing his faith story with King Agrippa and with everyone else that is present here in chapter 26. Now, when we pick up in verse 9, 
Paul has already said a number of things. He said that it's, it's for the sake of the hope that I have that God will raise from the dead. That's what they're really against. And we had talked about how what they were really against was Jesus and that Jesus was God and that the hope that Jesus offered to everyone who would put their trust in him is that they one day would be raised from the dead themselves, that they would spend all of eternity with him in heaven. And that the Jews having rejected Jesus, that was what this was ultimately about. That they don't really hate you, they hate Jesus. And they hate the hope that you're proclaiming about Jesus. Because it wasn't just the resurrection, it was the fact that that resurrection was tied to Jesus Christ. Because we had already talked about how the Pharisees believed in the resurrection, but the Sadducees did not. And so they were kind of at odds with themselves, but it wasn't just the resurrection, it was that Jesus had risen from the dead, proving that he was who he claimed to be. And so they didn't want to hear anything about that. And so then as Paul gets into the rest of his defense, we pick it up here in verse 9. And Paul's going to talk about in verses 9 through 16 how he exchanged the mission of men for a mission from God. So let's read these verses, verse 9. Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I agreed with these people who were out to get me. In the past, I had agreed with them. Verse 10, this I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities." While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of all the things which I will yet reveal to you. So you have, just at the very end there, in passing, you have a reference to the inspiration of the word of God that would be revealed to Paul by the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit spoke through Paul, the God-breathed nature of the scripture in front of us today as we look at the word of God having been entrusted to or breathed through the instrument, the human instrument of human people, but yet having been written and directed every word, every breath of it, given under the inspiration of God to men. And there's just a passing reference to that not everything that Paul would reveal is going to be having, having already had been given to him in advance, but that things were going to continue be, to be revealed to him that would later then make up the rest of the scripture that would become the word of God, the, the finished revelation from God to man in the form of the Bible itself that we have in front of us today. So but when we get back to our primary point here, Paul exchanged a mission of man for a mission from God. And you see that as Paul explains his faith backstory. He had been doing other things previously, and you see that in verse 9. What had he been doing previously? He was doing many things contrary to the name of Jesus, is what it says. That's what he had been up to. That had been his mission, to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus, to actually be an adversary for the truth, 
to be preventing the truth from spreading, to be, in effect, one that was on the opposition side of the fence, one who was opposing Jesus Christ, being, in fact, a pawn or an instrument being used by the adversary Satan in his effort to undermine the spreading of the truth about Jesus Christ and the person and work of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. Now, when you look at verses 10 through 11, this is the point that I I hope I can make in, in, in passing. You thought your past was bigger than God's grace? Is that true? That you're somebody sitting here tonight that thinks that your past, your past mistakes, that your past is too big for the grace of God? Could you possibly hold on to that point of view and read about God's grace as it related or as Paul lays it out in his own life in verses 10 and 11? He talks about how he was an instrument of Satan himself, how he tracked down many saints and threw them in prison, and then he went and he had them put to death. Not only that, but he was instrumental in getting their death sentences doled out by the kangaroo courts that were trying these Christian believers, that he was right front and center in it, getting them to be accused or compelled to blasphemy, that he was in the middle of it, and that he was not only content to do that just in Jerusalem, but he was content to do that to track down these believers to foreign cities, and that that's what he was about to do even when the Lord approached him, that Paul was complicit in the murder of Christian brothers and sisters. Now, they weren't at the time to him, but our, our past, those who had gone before us. And you think about, despite that past, God said, that's not going to be your future. I have something better for you. And, and my challenge is, whatever your past is, before you came to know the Lord, whatever that might have been, God said, we're going to lay those things behind. We're going to set those behind. I have something else planned for you now. Even if you are a Christian and you're looking back to your post-Christian life, to your past Christian life, after you knew the Lord, faults and failures and blow-ups that you had along the way, God's saying, I want you to lay aside the weight. I want you to lay aside the sin that so easily ensnares you. And I want you to move forward because I have something better for you. God's grace is always greater than all of our sin. And God doesn't want us to use that principle as an occasion for our flesh. He doesn't want us to use that as an excuse for intentionally going through life, seeking to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season. Purposely using that as an excuse for our flesh, never using it as an opportunity just to reflect on his goodness and his grace and his mercy. And as we reflect on his love and his kindness and his compassion and his interest in us, to allow that to cause us to shift our gaze to him. That's what he wants. But he says, no matter how great your sin, my grace is greater. And never forget that. Whatever the failure of yesterday was, he says, my mercies are new every morning. Great is my faithfulness. He never said, great is your faithfulness. Just remember that. So when you're feeling sorry for yourself or wallowing in your failure, you're really being prideful to do that. Because God never said you would be faithful. He said, though we are faithless, yet he remains faithful still. It's the character of your God that has to come into focus so that you can move forward, not looking backward. So that's a passing point. But when we look at 
what Jesus has to say about this. Jesus has to say to Paul that you persecuting the church was the equivalent of persecuting me. And he says that in verses 14 and 15 when he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He says in verse 14, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see, to persecute men and women of faith is to persecute Christ because men and women of faith are identified inextricably with Christ. The two can't be separated. He says, nothing will be able to separate you from my love. You are in me positionally, and that will never change. Nothing can be done to ever break that bond that you have with me. And so if you're persecuting Christians, God is saying to Paul, you are persecuting me. And that's Paul's testimony. He's telling his faith story to this king, Agrippa. He's saying, I was one that was persecuting Jesus myself, just as they're persecuting me now for my Christian faith. Now, verses 9 and 12 show this contrast between being commissioned by self and other men to what we'll see a little bit later on, how he received this new commission from God himself in verse 16. But in verses 9 and 12, Paul says, I was on a mission of my own making, and I was on a mission of other people's making. But I was serving myself and I was serving others, but I wasn't serving God. And I'm going to exchange this mission I had been on for man for now being on a mission from God himself. Verse 9, it says, I myself thought I must. You see those words? I myself thought I must. That's speaking to him having appointed himself to this mission to persecute Christians. It didn't all fall on him having been misguided by other people. He says, it was me who came up with this objective, came up with this purpose. And then in verse 12, he says, with authority and, catch this word, commission from the chief priests. Commission is to be entrusted with a mission, a man on a mission. But it was the wrong mission. It was the mission of men instead of the mission of God. So he had appointed himself to this former mission, and he had been appointed by others to carry out this mission to persecute the church, but now Paul tells in his testimony, there came this time when the Lord reached out to me. The Lord got a hold of me. Now he did it directly. He doesn't speak to us in person uh, today. At least that hasn't been the teaching that I've been raised with. But you see many examples of him speaking directly to people in the early church throughout the Old Testament, that God audibly speaks to people. But now he primarily, through the close of the canon of Scripture, chooses to speak to us through his word. So that's the distinction, is that he doesn't need to speak to us directly when he has spoken to us directly, and he put an end to the canon of Scripture and said, everything that I need you to know, everything I need to communicate to you, is now found in this book. Now study it. Now have diligence to invest time into it. Now allow me to speak to you through my word. But in this instance, God spoke to and gave him this new commission directly. We see that in verse 16. Let's look at it again. Verse 16, he says, what's the commission? But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you, now catch this, for this purpose. You want to know what your purpose is? Paul's going to be told directly from God himself, Jesus himself, what his purpose is. And what's the purpose? To make you a minister and a witness 
Then it goes on to say, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. So what's Paul's new mission? What's his new purpose from God himself? To make you a minister and a witness for me. That's his mission. Now, the audience of his ministry and the source of the power behind his ministry is going to be revealed in verse 17. He says, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. So who is the audience that he's supposed to address his mission to? Well, the short version of that is everyone. You have Jewish people and Gentiles both mentioned. And we've seen as Paul went about his ministry, that's what he did. He went to the Jewish synagogues first, and then he went to the Gentile people second. And he did that as he went to various towns proclaiming the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. Now, see the power behind this, though. This isn't a self-directed mission. Paul is, is saying, I'm now on a mission from God where I had been on a mission of my own making or a mission appointed to me by others, but now I'm on a mission from God. And you see this with this powerful language where it says, I will deliver you and I now send you. That is God that's the one that's entrusting us with this ministry. And also he's the one who's going to provide along the way. See, Paul needed to learn that too. He, need, he needed to know that too, that my grace is what's going to be sufficient for you. You're not going to do this through your own strength. Now the Lord reveals the mission specifics. So the mission specifics are revealed here in verse 18. And remember again, Paul is just telling this testimony or sharing this faith story with King Agrippa, but there's a lot here for us to take out of his testimony. So the mission specifics are found in verse 18. What's the mission specific? Uh, so the, the audience is everyone. Now what is the message that you're going to proclaim? To open their eyes, or that's the purpose of the mission, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So now let's look at a few of these. To open their eyes, that's the, that's the objective, the primary objective, to open their eyes. You see, you can't see your need or respond to your need for Jesus unless you first are unless you're first made aware of your need and introduced to who he is. Unless somebody is willing to proclaim Jesus or speak Jesus into your life, then how could you hear about Jesus? And unless you hear about Jesus, how could you believe in somebody of whom you've never heard? And you're familiar with those passages in the Bible about blessed are those that are willing to proclaim the truth of Jesus into the lives of those who desperately need to hear about him. And so that involves, though, opening their eyes. See, men love darkness rather than light. Their eyes, unfortunately, are closed. And so opening their eyes to the light of Jesus Christ, and what will it involve? It'll involve turning from darkness to light, or turning to God from the alternative, which is Satan. And so you think about that idea of the change of mind, the metanoia that's, uh, of the Bible, where we see this idea of even repentance, having this proper understanding of to change one's mind. But to change one's mind means to, to turn from one belief to another belief. And this is beautiful how it's illustrated here as it's a turning from darkness to light, turning from Satan to God himself. 
That's the turning from that makes up the substance of the faith response or the proper response to the gospel message. The message being, you're a sinner, you have a need of a savior. The context of the gospel being that God made a way, he provided a way to remedy the condition or the problem or the conundrum that you were in being estranged from God because of your sin through the person and work, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as he died in your place. And it's all him and it's not of works. Your response is to accept that, to change your mind about whatever else you had been believing or whatever else you had been trusting and now to put that confidence exclusively in what Jesus has done for you. That's the faith alone part. But then the not of works part is understanding that to have put all of your eggs in the basket of faith in Christ means to have no dependence on anything else but just Christ alone. And so that's the response to the gospel is to change your mind. And what will the result of that decision be as we wrap up here tonight? The result of this decision to turn to Jesus, to faith in Jesus from the darkness is that they may receive forgiveness of sins, and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So what is the gospel message that Paul's declaring in this passage? That you receive salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. This is Jesus speaking. It's faith in me that is the thing that gives you this positional sanctification that allows you to be declared to be in a right standing before a holy God on the basis of the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. You receive that freely by faith alone. And so you think about different times that the Apostle Paul effectively communicates the gospel message. Nobody is saying that the Acts, that Luke, as he wrote this in Acts, that he, he got down every detail of every word that Paul communicated. But this is the gospel Young people, this is the gospel that Paul's declaring. That by turning to God's provision for man's sinfulness in faith, in Jesus Christ alone, one can receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified. What a promise. Not just forgiveness of sins, but I'm, I receive the full inheritance that is equated with the formal adoption process where a father formally recognizes his own son. That's what it means, biblical adoption, that, that adoption in the, in the Roman world. It wasn't adopting a stranger. A father may have many different sons, but he legitimized and formalized the adoption process by making it binding in a legal proceeding. And so you're adopted formally by faith alone and Christ alone that you are guaranteed this inheritance and all of these blessings that come along with being born to God's special family. Isn't that wonderful? And that's what Paul is declaring here as he shares the good news of how he now has been entrusted with this new mission, the the mission of proclaiming Jesus to those that do not know him. So you think about our title, a mission from God. You've been given a mission too. You've been entrusted as an ambassador for Jesus Christ with a ministry of reconciliation too. And you could read about this for time's sake. We're not going to go there. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Kids and your parents, maybe do this for a devotion. Chapter, verse 12 through 21. I, just, I think it's 20 actually, but maybe 21. Just read about how it's not unique to the Apostle Paul. You've been given the light. Now that you have the light, you've been entrusted with shining that light into the lives of people that God has put in your life. Not through your own strength, 
but as God works in and through you so that you can be on a mission from God too. You are on a mission from God, I should say, so that you can fulfill the mission that's been, pointed, that's been put in front of you. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy too. Even as he's dying, he's saying, preach the word. Fulfill the mission. Fulfill the mission that's been put in front of you. Don't run away from it. Let the Lord work in and through you so that you can be an ambassador for Jesus Christ too. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we could spend together. Pray that we'd have an enjoyable time of fellowship now. Thank you for your son, for his love, for this local church. Thank you most of all, though, for your sacrifice on our behalf, even though we didn't deserve it. And thank you for your words so that we have your truth right in front of us each and every day if we would just make time for it. Thank you again for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.